0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. There's
1: a right way to worship and a wrong way to worship, and we do well to do it by the book. And what we need to do, and what we need to understand as we work our way through these pastoral epistles, is that what we have here is a blueprint, is a blueprint for ministry, is a blueprint for the local church, and we do well to do the local church according to the book. If we want to change lives and if we want to save lives and change eternities.
0: I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are continuing with Pastor Keith's series entitled Church Matters. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: The paramedic walked the distance from the parking lot to her pickup truck and began the long drive home. She lived about 25 miles outside of the city, in the country, and so she had miles and miles of two-lane blacktop in the middle of the night at the end of her shift to go home and to get some rest. As she was driving home on that lonesome two-lane road, a motorcyclist whizzed past her and unfortunately sideswiped the car in front of her, went off the road, down an embankment, and into a ravine. Having seen accidents in the aftermath like this before, she this did not look good. So she pulled over, she dialed 911, she gave her location called for an ambulance and she went down that embankment deep into that ravine and there she found the motorcycle a ball of twisted iron and aluminum and alloy and there she found the motorcyclist the biker amazingly in one piece and she was so encouraged she was so thankful as she checked him from head to toe for his injuries she saw that it looked like he had maybe broken his femur which is no small thing and was bleeding and it could be a, it could have been a damaged for mortal artery or severed for mortal artery so she ran back up the uh, ravine back up the embankment got her first aid kit because she would expected to find a dead body to start with and came back down and began to minister to him attend to his wounds and also she saw people coming down with flashlights who must have seen her car and seen some of something and so some bystanders joined her and as she busily began to work on the biker's thigh. She put a tourniquet tightly up on his upper thigh to staunch the flow of blood. And when she did, he goes, Ow, that hurts. What are you doing? And she had to explain to him, Look, I'm a paramedic. I'm trained in this. I'm doing standard operating practice for an injury like this. I'm doing it by the book. I'm going to take really good care of you. Trust me. And as she continued to work, he continued to complain. And pretty soon one of the bystanders says, what are you doing to him? And she, and she looked over her shoulder and she goes, it's, it's okay, I'm, I'm a paramedic. I'm trying to stabilize him and keep him alive and keep him from bleeding out maybe until the ambulance gets here from the town. So she began to work on him. the the, the biker began to plead with her and kind of rebuke her a little bit, criticize her and said, look, you're hurting me. I'm not sure you really know what you're doing. And she said, you know, I understand. You've probably got a broken femur. You at least have a damaged femoral artery. I'm trying to help you. I know it hurts. I am so, so sorry. With that, there was a thump on her right shoulder. She looked up, and there was one of the bystanders, and he seemed a little bit angry. He goes, what are you doing to him? Can't you see that you're hurting him? And she goes, it's okay. I'm a parent. He goes, I don't care who you are. It's his leg. If he says not to do that, don't do it. And then people in the crowd start saying, yeah, listen to this guy. You know, you're not, you don't own him. It's, you're not the boss of him. And she's thinking to herself, these people have gone crazy. And she begins to try to work on the man and he begins to resist more and more. And he goes, look, it really, really hurts. Can't you just move that tourniquet down my thigh, around my calf? What's, what's six or eight inches or what, what's a foot or so going to matter? And she goes, well, the injury is high up on your leg the gash is on your thigh I think it goes into the femoral artery there might be a leak or a tear and I'm just trying to keep you alive and he goes well I don't want that it doesn't feel good and it was like a chorus behind her yes it doesn't feel good look we think we think that you ought to listen to him and she goes please listen to me I'm trying to save his life with that she sees the uh flashing lights on the ambulance, which must be uphill. And so she says, hey, look, would you do me a favor? Would one of you run way up there and bring the ambulance crew down here with their equipment so they can get this man out of here and get him to a hospital? And they said, you know what? Why don't you go up there? Why don't you get the ambulance crew? And why don't you bring them back here? We'll take care of him. Thank you. And the backer goes, yeah, you've done enough. So she's thankful to get out of there. She leaves that tourniquet on there, and she runs up the ravine, runs up the embankment, gets the ambulance people, brings them down, helps them carry their equipment. It takes a few minutes to get down there, and when they come down there, when they come down there, the tourniquet is off, the man is ashen, his eyes are closed, and she goes, what have you done? And they said, hey, hey, look, you know, we took the tourniquet off, no harm, no foul, He wanted us to. And look, he's resting peacefully. She goes, resting peacefully? He's unconscious. So the ambulance crew gets him and they take him up. They put him in the ambulance. He goes into a coma on the way to the hospital. And about three weeks later, he dies from his injuries, from blood loss and complications associated with that. What's the connection with that and our message today? What's this got to do with what we're talking about in the pastoral epistles about corporate worship about church matters. Because we are studying 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. How does this story relate to that? It's got nothing to do with it, and it's got everything to do with it. What do I mean? Well, it's like this. Just like there's a right way and a wrong way to tend to somebody's wounds and to apply a tourniquet to an injury, there is a right way and a wrong way to minister the gospel in the local church in conducting worship publicly and privately there's a right way to worship and a wrong way to worship and we do well to do it by the book like that paramedic suggested in our case the book is the bible and what we need to do and what we need to understand as we work our way through these pastoral epistles is that what we have here is a blueprint is a blueprint for ministry is a blueprint for the local church and we do well to do the local church According to the book, if we want to change lives and if we want to save lives and change eternities, so we return to our series on entitled "Church Matters." You know, we're in a series within a series right now. Uh, we are uh, going into part two of "Church Unlike the World," making a countercultural statement. It's all about corporate worship. Uh, we are, again, in First Timothy of the Pastoral Epistles, looking at God's designer specifications for the church, and I want to pick up where we left off last week. Last week, we introduced uh, three realities, if you will, about public worship, about corporate worship, so that we could worship adequately, prepared to honor God. And so uh, we ask you to consider three realities about corporate worship so that you can adequately prepare to worship publicly. Today's passage is as it was last week, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. And what I want to do is kind of walk you through the three realities of corporate worship and then we'll dig down deep and move on into the heart of the sermon So what we talked about is there are three realities to corporate worship. Corporate worship is all about the internals, not the externals. That was number one, which we got to last week. Number two is it's about witness. Corporate worship is about witness rather than excess, right? And number three, corporate worship is all about obedience rather than preference. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Well, let's look at our passage, which is 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. And uh, let's get into the heart of this. God's word says this. The Holy Spirit speaking through the pen of the Apostle Paul. I desire then that in every place, in every church, the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or or quarreling. Likewise, I desire then that in every place also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but instead with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. This is our passage today. Last week, just to review, we said realize that corporate worship is all about internals, not externals. And we looked at this passage and we saw, I desire then that men in every place should, should pray lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling, without dissension. Likewise, I desire then that women in every place should adorn themselves in in respectable attire with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. What we saw in terms of the men leading the worship service and those in attendance, and in this case particularly the women, is that, It's not about your posture or your presentation. It's about your heart condition. It really comes through here with the men. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or dissension. The right heart, the clear conscience, these are concepts woven throughout the fabric of 1 Timothy. It's all about the internals. It's all about, it's not about how you look when you lift up your hands, it's how you are from the inside out remember what we discussed last week we talked about 1st Timothy 1 5 and 1st Timothy uh, 1 a good conscience a sincere faith in our own passage in 1st Timothy 2 8 we talked about not with anger or quarreling these were all inward issues of the heart and in 1st Timothy 3 9 we talked about a clear conscience again you see a right heart is essential to lifting up holy hands. You have to be right with God. And we talked about r- holy hands in the Old Testament and the New. They were practices of worship. They were compared to, uh, to Levitical uh, sacrifices. Uh, they speak to having a heart consecrated to God, given over to God. And we talked about the fact that you really can't lift up holy hands in a worship service to lead prayer without the proper heart preparation before. And then we notice, too, in him referring to the woman, the Apostle Paul, talks about it's not what adorns you in terms of cosmetics or dress or, or uh, accessories. It's, it's what adorns the way that you live your life. And we saw that in verses 9 and 10. Likewise, I desire then that in every place also the women should adorn themselves with respectable attire, with modesty, self-control. Modesty, self-control. Those are inward things. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. What, as we talked about last time, this is not, this is not a dress code. This is not a polemic against dressing well, against nice clothes, against against designer clothes. It's not about that. It's about the inward person of the heart. It's it's not about a, a code of dress, but a code of conduct. What does your worship look like inside the church, and yes, outside the church? Are you known for your good works or the way you dress? Are you known for the way you present yourself and lift up holy hands? Are you known for really someone who is not divisive someone who is not combative it's all about the internals we discussed about the, the, the context of this whole discussion in 1 Timothy 2 is the fact that Ephesus was the home of the temple of Artemis the Romans called her Diana she was a fertility goddess the Romans also used her as the goddess of the hunt And the worship there was very ostentatious, very dramatic, very over the top. And the priests posed and postured, and the vestal virgins, and some would say the temple prostitutes, dressed heavily dolled up, lots of gold, lots of this, lots of that. It was pageantry at its best, or some would say worst. And so the Holy Spirit, speaking through the pen of the Apostle Paul, speaks to them then and there, and us here and now, and says, the church is to be unlike the world it's not to look like the culture it's to be counter-cultural and our corporate worship should not reflect externals but internals and that's why there's this caution there's this command about the men leading worship to do it with a right heart and the women to conduct themselves with a right heart because god looks at the heart it's not about externals it 's about what 's going on inside of you because what 's going on inside of you eventually comes out of you. so when it comes to public worship, realize it 's all about the internals, not merely the externals. Also realize as we work our way through this message that each of these points builds on the other and serves sort of as application for the preceding point. See you see this sermon isn 't to give you rules to dress by or how to posture. It's to cause you to think. It's to call you to consider how you apply the Bible to every aspect of your life, particularly public worship. Which brings us to reality number two. Reality number two is this. It's not about, it's all about witness and not about excess. It's all about witness and not about excess. You hear me trying to rhyme that ness there? And, and what do we see? We see that in verses 9 and 10. Likewise, I desire then that in every place also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and not gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. They are to adorn themselves with good works. If we truncate that passage, it says that women are to adorn themselves with modesty, self-control, with good works. It's, again, about what's inside of us coming out of us. It's about witness. It's about where you put your effort in the worship service and in your whole life, where you put your energy, where you put your, your focus. And if your focus is on your cosmetics, if it's on your outward appearance and not how you live out your faith before a broken and hurting world, Things are out of focus. And so Paul uses the women as an example, contrasting them with the women at the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana. The question implied here is, are you known more about how you dress on Sunday than how you live Monday through Saturday? And when you look at verse 9, you understand that a woman or anyone else in the congregation who is spirit-filled is going to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And if you look at Ephesians 5, to 23, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. It's how we bear witness. It's how we respond to situations, not react. And so in Ephesians five twenty two and 23, we read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see... Our witness reveals who we are. And self-control is explicitly listed here in this fruit of the Spirit and in this passage in verses 9 and 10. And, And modesty is too. Modesty is more than how you dress. It's how you behave. And I submit to you, things like peace, patience, kindness also speak to modesty. And modesty can reveal itself through dress, that is not ostentatious or distracting, excessive, yes, but mostly through conduct, mostly through attitude. And self-control and modesty are woven together. They are interconnected. And that's why I say it's all about witness, not about excess. You go to the temple of Artemis, and it's all excess. It's all drama. It's all pageantry. You go to the church of the living God, and it should be all devotion. It should be an internal commitment, an internal consecration of the heart to God manifested in the way that we pray, in the way that we carry ourselves in the worship service. The church is cautioned not to be like the world, but unlike the world. It's called to be countercultural. Where you put most of your effort should be toward worship, not looks, not postures, not positions. And so, there's this call to devotion, to inner consecration that would manifest itself in our daily lives, particularly in the worship service. And let me just go on to say here, this is not a criticism of dress codes. The structure of the sentence in the Greek, I want women to adorn themselves, really speaks to a positive thing. He wants women to add to their beauty, to add to their to their. To 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 enhance the way they look by the way they act. A beautiful person. So Paul recognizes that women are beautiful. There's no biblical warrant here in these verses or command for women to neglect their appearance, to conceal their beauty, or to become dowdy or frumpish. The question is how they adorn themselves to the outside world. Because the world is always watching Christians. We live in a surveillance culture and we don't want to be like the world. We want to be unlike the world. We don't want to blend in with the culture. We want to be countercultural, so that people can see a difference. They can see the difference that Christ makes. And so Paul is saying it's about witness, not access. It's about what should mark you out, what should identify you as a Christ follower. A sincere Christian heart devoted and consecrated to God is set apart in its worship by the way that it witnesses because everything that we say, think, and do is worship. In in the church building and in the world, the church, the people of God, should be focused more on witness rather than excess, rather than being obsessed with something of no eternal value. They should live by the book. They should bear witness to Christ. Christianity isn't, and its worship isn't, so much about outward appearances But the inward heart. You know, we talk about right thinking leads to right attitude, action, words, and deeds. Internals that eventually do become externals, but in the best sense imaginable, in terms of our witness to Christ. And again, it's all about witness, not the cares and excesses of the world. Paul isn't picking on women, he picks on men too. He covers everybody in those first. Two verses. I desire then that men in every place, I desire then that the women, he's talking to everybody, but particularly to the men who lead worship, and particularly to the women who in that culture were to provide a counterbalance to the pagan practices all around them. It's not about posture, it's about practice, it's about witness. It's not about the show, we said this last week, it's about the grow, it's about witness, not excess. And you know, you see this idea of witness, this common thread woven all through the fabric of the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy, of 2 Timothy, of Titus. Where do we see that? You see it you see it. in, first, in, in Titus 2, 2 through 5. What does it say? Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness, Older women are to likewise be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Watch this so that the word of God may not be reviled. It's about witness. Every aspect of our worship, particularly our public worship, is about witness, witness that is not excess like the world you see it in first timothy 3 in the discussion of an overseer in first timothy 3 2, 3 8 and 3 12 we see this therefore an overseer must be above reproach witness the husband of one wife sober-minded self-controlled again that's witness respectable witness hospitable witness able to teach Verse, uh, verse 8, deacons likewise must be, verse 12, the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. It's about witness.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, It is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening.